Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, a spike in drownings prompting some safety reminders from the DNR. A 5K aims to raise money and awareness to combat human trafficking, and the Northwoods League is ready to play ball. But first... Governor Tim Walz and top legislative leaders have stepped in trying to wrap up as many of the remaining state budget bills as possible before the governor likely calls the legislature back into special session on Monday. The goal is to have a complete budget passed and signed into law well before month's end when state government otherwise would start shutting down. MN's Bill Warner has a status report. Scott, although strictly speaking, it's not a monetary or budget item. One of the most contentious issues in budget negotiations is police reform with a big gulf between Democrats and Republicans. House GOP lawmakers said this week Minneapolis and Hennepin County need to use a quarter billion dollars of money they've received from the federal government to beef up law enforcement as the city of Lakes is facing another summer of violent crime. What we're doing is imploring them to use their dollars, said House Republican. Republican Minority Leader Kurt Dowd. Republicans are proposing an immediate infusion of $2.5 million to various task forces that could come in and help MPD. But Cambridge Republican Brian Johnson says... As far as the funding goes, uh, with the current the way the Minneapolis City Council has been acting towards law enforcement, I would not want to give a dime to the city of Minneapolis. St. Paul Democrat Carlos Mariani responds, Minnesotans need a fair and thoughtful approach to better policing to stop what he calls, quote, senseless trauma that too many people, families, and neighborhoods continue to experience, especially communities of color. Governor Tim Walls has repeatedly called for another round of police reforms, and the question we had for him this week is, what is the minimum that he will accept in 2021? There is a package, and I think it's a pretty good package put forward by the House around reforms, no-knock warrants. Um, This doesn't make sense to kick down doors when we can catch people later. It doesn't make sense to stop people for, you know, uh, uh, air freshener and then end up in a confrontational situation. I'm still very optimistic that that we can get some of these done. I think we can acknowledge that uh, black families should not have to be scared when their children drive to soccer practice. But folks should not be worrying about their children being shot on trampolines when they're in their backyard. Kind of those two elements are working to maybe find some common ground. Governor, I understand that you don't want to tip your hand in negotiations too far ahead of time because you've got to get a state budget put together and, and presumably get everything finished before July 1st. But what can you tell lawmakers, and I think Republicans in the Senate in particular, about what you're going to need to have from them on police reform in order to finish things up in 2021. I told them that I want them to get as many of their forms as they possibly can. But I do think the situation with Winston Smith last Thursday, no matter what the situation, how it all works out, and and that will be for the investigators to make a decision on, I think it's a valid point that people are saying, why were there no body cameras? Why was there no footage of this? That's meant to be a check and balance for everyone to understand, both police as well as, you know, potential suspects. So I'm just telling them that we need to move on the things that make sense, the things that can make a difference, the things that strengthen safety in the communities, as well as giving assurances to um, to the police and to the public that this is being done right. 
are you telling them that they got to give you some minimum stuff like no knock warrants and presumptive stop legislation, you know, that came out of Dante that comes out of Dante Wright's uh, uh, death. Are, are you saying that those need those to be kind of the I minimums? Probably, well, I prioritize those for them. And I, I, I think that that is a minimum of things they need to do. Um, and certainly there's going to be folks that say it's not enough. I would probably agree with that, but that's that's the place we're in. Governor Tim Walz, another issue figuring prominently as lawmakers try to wrap up the state budget is one of the few remaining executive orders that the governor issued under his COVID emergency powers, a moratorium on evictions. House Democrats this week urged Senate Republicans to move forward with what's termed an off-ramp that would protect not only landlords but also tenants. Republicans say Democrats have threatened to keep the governor's emergency powers in place to gain leverage during negotiations. DFL Representative Michael Howard from Richfield responded. Actually, it's quite the opposite. It's the Senate Republicans that have said, we won't pass an eviction off-ramp unless we also get other provisions that we want to see pass in housing that are unrelated. COVID pandemic activity continued, dropping to record lows as Minnesota this week reached four weeks since the governor's mask mandate ended. That's a key time point that epidemiologists watch for any possible increase in cases. Senate Republican Majority Leader Paul Gazelka called it tremendous news, saying in a statement, quote, it is time for all of us to return to normal, but we can't do that until Governor Walls gives up his emergency powers. There is simply no reason for Governor Walls to continue his one-man rule, says Senate Majority Leader Paul Gazelka. We asked the governor about that. Do you foresee at any point in the near future where you would totally relinquish those powers, or do you yes. want to keep them in reserve? Oh, okay, please, sir. No. Go ahead. No, absolutely they would. Absolutely they would. I think if you ask people, you know, should the governor have these? No, but when you explain to them, should the governor have the ability to vaccinate people? They would say yes. Should the governor have the ability to accept $45 million from the federal government to help with this emergency? Yes. They, they've made this a talking point. Quite candidly, I have to tell you, Bill, I, I, I don't think they want them to go away because it makes such a wonderful talking point. The two things that are in there, if they could fix the eviction moratorium, which I've asked them for five months to do and they cannot, the two things in there are should the governor vaccinate people and should the governor be able to accept money from the federal government for the uh, pandemic? And I think the answer would then be yes. That's what the emergency power is doing. It's doing nothing else. Not asking you to wear a mask. Nothing. So you're saying, okay, moratorium, uh, the eviction moratorium and the vaccination considerations, if those were taken care of to your satisfaction, yes. that you would relinquish, that you, that you would say that the peacetime emergency has ended? Yes. That's Governor Tim Walls. Scott? Thank you, Bill. We'll have more Minnesota Matters after this. Minnesota Rural Electric Cooperatives. Who are we? We're your neighbors, co-workers, and friends. That's right, we live and work in the community too. Because of that, we're committed to making sure our electric services stay reliable, affordable, and safe. Throughout the state, Minnesota electric co-ops work independent of each other, but with the same goal, provide power to Minnesota. You have so many other things to worry about. Your electricity isn't one of them. Minnesota Rural Electric Cooperatives, bringing power to the people of Minnesota. Considering an online pharmacy? Explore BeSafeRx to find useful information and resources to help you purchase medicines safely online. A safe online pharmacy requires a doctor's prescription has an address in the United States, has a licensed pharmacist, and is licensed by a state pharmacy board. It's best to stay away from online pharmacies that don't meet these criteria. Discover more helpful tips and resources at BeSafeRx. Go to fda.gov slash BeSafeRx. 
Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. With temps way up and more people spending time in and around the water, Minnesota is experiencing a spike in drownings. I recently spoke with the DNR's Lisa Dugan. She has several tips for Minnesotans about how they can stay safe in Minnesota's pools, rivers, and lakes. As we see, you know, the temperatures increase, there seems to be an unfortunate trend of increased water fatalities. So it's so important for people as they're, you know, packing up to head to the water to get a little bit of relief, to remember to make safety part of your prep for the day. You know, you're going through your list, making sure you have everything you need. Safety needs to be at that top of the list to make sure you, everyone in the family has an enjoyable day and ultimately makes it home um, makes it home at the end of the day to be able to do it again. So, you know, whether you're heading to the beach or to the pool, um, it's always a smart idea to designate a water watcher. And what that means is that there's one person who is strictly eyes on the water, watching the people who are in the water. Um, you know, that means putting your phone down. Um, a lot of times there'll be, you know, they'll have either like a whistle to hold or something that indicates that they're the person who has the eyes on the water. Um, oftentimes, drownings don't look like we may think. Um, it doesn't typically have somebody screaming for help, um, waving and splashing their arms. Drownings tend to be silent and can happen very quickly and oftentimes happen when there's people within a close proximity, either in the pool or in the beach. Um, so always counting heads, um, always looking for who is in the water to make sure everyone's doing okay is so very important. In terms of um, boating, because we've also had some boating accidents already as we uh, get into the summer months here, what what do you recommend for folks who are going to be on boats? Mm -hmm. Again, you know, always make safety part of that prep prep checklist for the day. Um, Life jackets are crucial, you know, for the boat and for the pool or the beach, um, and not just bringing them with you, making sure that you're actually wearing the life jacket because it doesn't work if you don't wear it. And that means, you know, maybe taking a little bit of extra time to find a life jacket that is comfortable for you. So, you know, life jackets have come such a far away with styles and options. So find one that's comfortable. There's so many great options for life jackets. They don't get in the way. They're not intrusive. Um, So you really can wear them throughout the day Um, because despite somebody's swimming ability, um, drownings can happen quickly. If somebody, you know, we've seen it as simple as somebody jumps off the back of the boat to retrieve a hat that fell into the water and never resurfaced. That is a tragic drowning that could be prevented if the person had put on a life jacket first. So despite your swimming ability, make sure to always take that extra step and putting on the life jacket anytime you're on the water. I know that um, alcohol and drug use around the water can always be a danger. What would you say to folks about that? Mm-hmm. Boating under the influence is one of the greatest factors of boating fatalities in the state and across the country, really. And boating um, under the influence, it carries the same weight as driving while intoxicated. Um, Boating and drinking do not mix, so either leave the alcohol on shore, or if you are going to have drinks on the boat, make sure you designate a sober ride both on the water and on the road to make sure everybody gets home safely. Um, The waterways are so busy. It's hot. 
you know, everyone's excited about summer and ready to get out. So there's a lot going on on the water. And the person who is operating the boat needs to make sure that they have the eyes on the water and looking for what's going on around them because there's so many distractions. So again, putting the phone down, if you're, you know, just like you do in your vehicle, you're not texting and driving, make sure you keep the phone down if you're operating the boat. Non-boating drownings are anywhere between like 30 and 50 for an average. And we're off to, you know, a pretty tragic start for the summer. And I think, you know, that has something to do with it being so warm and people getting out to the beaches and the pools and taking the boats out. Um, so really just making sure that if you're on the water, wear a life jacket. Um, if you're boating, take some education classes. There's, they're available online. Um, and a boater who is educated or has some sort of training is a safer boater. They're less likely to get into an incident on the water. So, you know, even if it's just like refreshing, um, if you're a seasoned boater, refreshing any any regulations that might be updated, any any new requirements, or if you're a new boater, it's so very important to not just, you know, grab the keys. The boat is not a toy. It's, you know, carries that weight and responsibility of taking some education to know what you're doing before you get on the water. Thank you to my guest, the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources, Lisa Dugan. Minnesota Matters will return after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. A 5K run this weekend in the Twin Cities Metro is aimed at raising money and promoting awareness of human trafficking. Reporter J.W. Cox has more. Scott, the 8th annual Stop the Trafficking 5K will be run both in person and virtually this weekend in Eden Prairie. Race director Christine Erickson is a staff member at Grace Church, one of the partners putting on the event. She says the run first came about as an opportunity for more people to join the fight against human trafficking in any way possible. When I actually joined staff here at Grace Church, I had previously been part of running a transitional home for women coming out of sex trafficking. And just realizing the enormity of the issue and how much it really impacts our community, I wanted to do a little bit more and just bring awareness to the community as a whole. So that led to partnering with the City of Bean Prairie, talking to them about how do we make this a community-wide event? How do we involve you know, other businesses, the sponsors, other churches in the area, and really engage the community to really increase awareness about specifically how sex trafficking is affecting the youth in our communities. That's really how it started. With that awareness as the driving goal, Erickson says the impact of the race each year has been tremendous. We have had, on average, over 850 participants each year, and those numbers have fluctuated. We have seen people participate from all over Minnesota. We're the largest 5K here in the Eden Prairie area, so we do tend to draw large crowds. People want to get involved. We have seen just a lot of interest in in doing something about this issue. I believe we've given away over $200,000 since we started this event, and we specifically 
typically focus on Minnesota-based nonprofits that provide direct services to victims of human trafficking. So we spread this out. So we have supported organizations such as Breaking Free, which we are supporting again this year, uh, Terebinth Refuge up in St. Cloud. We have supported The Link in their passageways home. This year we are adding Corey's House, and we are also are supporting Act United. So we mix it up. We, we typically fund four to five local Minnesota nonprofits, and we also have extended to add an international organization that's helping trafficked victims as well. While Erickson had previous experience working with trafficking victims, she knows many people may not realize just how significant an issue sex trafficking is in the world today. You know, I think people would be shocked to know how much it does affect our communities. Even here in Eden Prairie, where we're based, there are girls in high school that are being trafficked. It, it really happens in every community. It happens out in, you know, the suburbs, in the city, but also in the rural communities in Minnesota. And people really aren't aware. So we want to do our part to bring awareness to that issue and give people an opportunity to get involved because awareness really is your first step. And from awareness, then comes education, comes the opportunity to prevent the problem from happening in the first place. So we'd like to provide people with those opportunities and ways to engage because, yes, there are people in the life right now, but what if we could stop other girls, other boys as well, other victims? Um, what if we could prevent it in the first place? The increased awareness boosted by the event over the years has also led to more local groups, from police to churches to businesses, becoming involved as sponsors in the 5K, a signal to Erickson about how people who care for those around them will respond if given the opportunity. I think it just shows that people want to do something. I think, you know, we have been able to cover the costs of our event through sponsorship dollars. So businesses are willing to step up. They're willing to fund. They just want something to give towards to, to help this issue. So I think we've seen a great response just because it's a very tangible way for businesses to get involved, for community members to get involved. Hey, by walking and running, you can actually make a difference. By wearing this t-shirt that says stop the trafficking, you can engage in conversation with people and tell them, hey, this is about human trafficking and did you know that this happens here? And did you know that if you suspect, you know, you can call this 1-800 number and get help. So that's the impact that we're starting to see is just continued reach and continued awareness. And uh, it's really encouraging to see the response. Erickson says while this weekend is all about the run, the impact of the event doesn't have to stop there. One of the, the main things is obviously becoming more educated on what are the signs of trafficking, how to identify when you're suspicious, you know, how to identify that girl that just seems like she's getting targeted most often through social media. Oftentimes it occurs when someone poses as a boyfriend. So there's certain signs you can be educated about, but I love to also champion prevention. So targeting at-risk population. So whether it's children in foster care, maybe it's opening your home to bring in kids. Maybe it's mentoring a kid who is at risk, who's vulnerable. So there are so many different ways uh, to get involved and to focus on the prevention of it as well. And that's not even tapping into the demand side of things, which is a whole nother issue, which is where, you know, a lot of effort and energy can be focused on stopping the demand too. For more information on the 5K and the nonprofits this year's run will support, 
visit StopTheTraffickingRun.org. Scott, back to you. Thank you, JW. Minnesota Matters returns after this. So you see, son, good manners are very, very important. Someday, many years from now, when you're a grown-up, you'll be a man. And when you are, you should be a gentleman. Do you want me to go through it one more time? Yes. Yes, please. Yes, please. Exactly. Always say please, thank you, you're welcome, and excuse me. Sit up straight, hold doors open for ladies. If a door's shut, then knock first. Don't burp, don't swear, don't speak with your mouthful, don't reach across people's plates, keep your elbows off the table. What table? And don't interrupt. While we're at it, don't stare, don't use foul language, don't call people names, but do remember people's names. Always share your toys, play nice, and cover your mouth when you cough or sneeze. On the bus, give up your seat to anyone who has trouble standing. Bottom line, treat others the way you'd like to be treated. Got it? Got it. And stop picking your nose. Most parenting is hard to do in just two minutes. But spending just two minutes twice a day making sure they brush their teeth is easier and could help save them from a lifetime of tooth pain. For fun two-minute videos to watch while brushing, visit 2min2x.org. That's 2min2x.org. A message from the Partnership for Healthy Mouths, Healthy Lives, and the Ag Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The boys of summer are back in the Midwest. Northwoods League baseball season got underway earlier this month. It's the 28th season for the developmental summer league for players who are enrolled in college. The NWL serves as a valuable training ground for players, coaches, umpires, front office staff, and others. The 2020 season was an abbreviated campaign, and league president Ryan Vaz tells MNN sports director Mike Grimm that the 2021 season will look much more normal. It sure is refreshing. Um, it, you know, it, you hit the reset button a little bit, I think, personally, because, you know, you, you may take things for granted. Next thing you know, 2020 hits, and you've got all the regulations and all the rules, and you don't know whether you're going to play. And then uh, 2021 comes back, and, boy, there's a new sense of excitement in the air for sure. Um, as we get into kind of previewing the season and the formatics, and I know the divisions, and it's really kind of back to normal, I do want to ask you about the health and safety protocols. What can you tell us about maybe around the league, what kind of things are going on? Is it mostly now done locally in terms of what the local guidelines are? Yeah, we, you know, we've been following the local guidelines since day one, and we sent out letters to all the players and communicated that uh, we strongly encourage the players to be vaccinated before they uh, approached uh, their Northwoods League market. And if they didn't believe in the vaccination, that they had to uh, you know, get tested before they came to uh, each of the respective cities. Uh, we still don't want to, you know, we still want to take this serious. We still want to do the right things. And uh, ultimately, as, as we are kind of turning the corner, um, we want to make sure we can fulfill the season and do it the right way. Yeah, no question. How proud are you of what you guys were able to pull off last year, given the situation that, you know, basically you had a two-plus-month season when it was all said and done, and I know there were a few hiccups along the way, but uh, to get that many games in, you had to feel pretty good about about it, given the situation in general. Yeah, it, it, it worked out the best it possibly could have. Uh, a lot of summer collegiate leagues weren't playing. Uh, a lot of leagues in general, obviously, minor league baseball did not play. We stayed patient, uh, followed the guidelines, and then we're able to open up July 1 and play through the third week of August. Um, you know, teams were able to get in 25 home games, 25 uh, home and road games, so a 50-game schedule roughly. Uh, normally we're playing 72 games. So when it was all said and done, uh, it turned out in the end, but I'll tell you, when the season was here and it was over, 
there was a little celebrating going on at the end of the summer just to know that we pulled it off. Yeah, and as you mentioned, now we're getting back to to some semblance of normal, and the league is looking back to to kind of normal. I know there are some teams that had to sit out. I guess there's at least one team having to sit out this year because of the international rules in terms of of uh, the U.S. and Canada and the border. Um, and we can get into that in a moment. But by and large, it looks like we're we're back to normal from a, a standings and division standpoint and a schedule standpoint, right? Yeah, everything is uh, kind of reflected back to uh, 2019. The, as you mentioned, the only difference is that we have, uh, I guess, an expansion team called the Minnesota Mud Puppies because Thunder Bay was not able to uh, uh, participate in the upcoming season because of the border being closed. Uh, but other than that, uh, the Prairie uh, Lakes and the, and the uh, is back to normal. Um, and so, yeah, we are uh, set for the season. And, and as you uh, look over the season, how, how much work goes into it in general? Let, let's do this. Let me ask you first. I know you guys have been around for now nearly three decades, but I'm sure you still get questions. Well, well, what is this a minor league? Is this, a, you know, who are the players? Where do they come from? So just from that standpoint, let's set the stage for listeners who, certainly if you're a baseball fan now in Minnesota, you know what the Northwoods League is, but I still think there is occasionally people who aren't sure, uh, you know, what the rosters are comprised of what type of player. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. And I've been doing this for 24 years and uh, a lot of my in-laws still have no idea what the heck the Northwoods League really is. So, uh, you know, this, the summer, it's a summer collegiate league uh, comprised of 22 affiliates. It's the largest summer collegiate league in the country. Uh, we draw more fans than any other summer collegiate league in the country. And, and uh, by playing a 72-game schedule, uh, more teams, more games, and more fans than any other summer collegiate league. Uh, a wood bat league, that's comprised of Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three NAIA players from all over the country that will live with host families in those respective communities. Yeah, it's interesting you mention that because it really is in terms of a college league. It, it um, So the, the players are, are good players from all kinds of schools. You may see some Gophers on the roster. You may see some Minnesota State Mankato player on the roster. You may see players from the SEC and the ACC, right, from, from all over the country coming into Minnesota and Wisconsin and the Dakotas and Michigan and, and Iowa to play. Yeah, there's players from all over. I think I looked a few years ago and we had a roster of 30 players from 25 different states, hmm. uh, you know, primarily uh, comprised of Division One athletes. But these guys will uh, uh, make friends. They'll become teammates right out of the gates. And before the end of the season, uh, it may seem like a long, uh, intense summer. But when the summer is over, these guys uh, wish they had more of it. And, and that's one of the, the aspects of the league that I've always thought was interesting. It's a lot of games in a short period, but it has the players and the fans wanting more by the end of the summer. So, uh, we each play 36 home games, and uh, it's a lot of games in a short period. But come the middle of August, it, it really wants you, you know, the fans are still grasping for more games and really builds that excitement for the next season. And staying with that collegiate theme, you hit on it just a little bit that it also provides opportunities for for guys who maybe aren't aren't uh, skilled enough to be ball players but want to be around sports. And you have internships with, uh, I mean, from photographers to communication specialists to you know equipment people. I mean, uh, that that also offers opportunity. And I guess you kind of came up through the ranks, right? I mean, you started as an intern in this league. Yeah, I did. I started in 98 in St. Cloud. It was the second year of the St. Cloud River Bats. And uh, a gentleman who was my mentor at the time said, uh, if you want to be in sports, you could stay in this league. It's young and have an opportunity to be in it for a long time. And uh, truly, you know, I've enjoyed it and uh, made a career out of it. And that's Northwoods League President Ryan Vaz and MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm. 
We'll hear more about the Northwoods League in next week's Minnesota Matters program. That's going to do it for us for this week. Thank you for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.